What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey everyone, it's Dan Favalli. Remember to search Blue Wire Buckets in iTunes or Spotify for more NBA content. Hey, hi, hello, and welcome back to the Hardwood Knox Podcast. I am Dan Favalli, your third favorite co-host around these parts. Today, Mo and I will be talking to Paul Garcia, who covers the Spurs for Project Spurs and is the host of the SpursCast podcast. You can follow him on Twitter, at Paul Garcia, MBA, spelled exactly as it sounds. If you can't tell from that, I'll let you know right now, we're doing our Spurs deep dive on this podcast, and we think you'll really enjoy it. We get into the weeds with San Antonio with Paul did a fantastic job outlining current players on the roster, what we can expect for them over the offseason, and all that jazz. Before we get started, however, I just want to continue reminding, imploring, begging, pleading with everyone to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. You can also find us wherever else you are consuming your podcasts. However, iTunes is still the best way to let us know that you are out there, that you are listening, and that we are not yelling into the great unknown void. So please, search Hardwood Knox on iTunes. It takes 10 to 15 seconds out of your day. Throw us a five-star rating. Five stars only. If you have any comments, please. We like reading them in the reviews section. Any critical feedback as well, we will take it into account. If you have not subscribed, definitely do that already. And if you have, shout-outs on Twitter are appreciated. Stealing people's phones and subscribing them to the Hardwood Knox podcast is equally appreciated. Anything that helps us get the word out there about how cool and fun and family-oriented this podcast is. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I am at Dan Favalli. You can follow Mo on Twitter at MoDakeel underscore MBA. That's at M-O-D-A-K-H-I-L underscore MBA. Andy is at Andrew D. Bailey, spelled as always exactly like it sounds. You can follow the show on Twitter as well at Hardwood Knox. Finally, if you have not checked out the Blue Wire Podcast Network and all the cool shows it has to offer, remedy that immediately. We are pumping out great basketball and NFL content on the regular with other sports sprinkled in there as well. Follow Blue Wire Pods on Twitter at Blue Wire Pods. With all of those housekeeping notes now out of the way, we move on to our deep dive into the San Antonio Spurs with Paul Garcia. Hey, hi, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Hardwood Knox Podcast. I am Dan Favalli coming at you with my co-host, Mo DeKeel, and we are also super pleased to be joined by Paul Garcia, who covers the Spurs for Project Spurs. He is also the host of the SpursCast podcast. If you do not follow him on Twitter, I highly recommend you change that post-haste. He can be found at Paul Garcia, MBA, spelled exactly like it sounds. If you couldn't tell, we're going to get into some San Antonio Spurs off-season slash long-term outlook stuff. Very excited to cover this beacon of what is normally stability, but they have some interesting questions facing them this offseason. First and foremost, how are you doing, Paul? 
I'm doing very well, guys. Uh, thank, thank you for having me on. Uh, we were kind of just talking how all, all three of us are on different um, parts of the United States, so for, for each of us, it's a little different, the time frame. Yes, um, we thank you for getting up early, Paul. And Mo, thank you for getting up early, too. When I pinged you about this, I was actually surprised that you were game, so I appreciate that as well. I'm I'm a bit of a early bird anyway, so not a not a big deal for me. Um, my biggest thing is always trying to figure out w- w- when you send the times, going like, is this what 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 time is it? L.A. time before I screw it up, because you know there's going to be a day where I'm going to think one hour and I'm going to be an hour late or or or, or uh, an hour early because I'm not <laughs> good, with, good with the math. <laughs> I, I like to do it by like the guest time zones, but I wish like. I'm sure you guys have this too, like when radio stations ask you to come on, that they would do it by the time zone they know that you're in because I have trouble keeping track of all the like Pacific time or Mountain time or Central time or Eastern time requests. I'm always petrified that I'm going to screw up the, the math on the time. Well, funny, <laughs> a, a, a funny story is like I, I had during the playoffs, somebody had asked me if I wanted to join on a on pretty big radio show. Uh, and I was like, absolutely. Said yes. It was 7 to 10 a.m. And then when we locked down a time, then I realized it was, oh, that's Eastern time. So uh, <laughs> I didn't want to I didn't want to cancel anything. But basically, I got up at like 430 in the morning to make sure I didn't oversleep <laughs> and, yeah. nailed, and to sound awake for this radio radio hit I did around like 530 in the morning. Yeah, that's too early. But now at least I know I can schedule podcasts for 7 a.m. Eastern time and I'm just going to count on you to be there. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> um, so, Paul, the Spurs. Um, there, there's like long-term implications of how many roster spots they, they have, which you wrote about, and we're going to get into that eventually, but I want to start out by what you kind of thought of their draft, um, whether, I know they're a team that's almost impossible to decode, at least to me, around draft time, and then we just accept whatever they do, but were you at all surprised by Luca at number 19? Were you a little bit more surprised that they went with yet? another guard in Keldon Johnson at, at 29? Is this something you expected? Uh, yeah, I mean, um, okay, the expectation was there that, you know, most of us, uh, you know, cover the Spurs, we, we thought that they, they, they'd do two targets of those those their first-round picks. They'd get a big guy, and they'd also get um, some sort of wing because that's kind of what they needed. Now, it was the order that they chose these guys that was really, really, I think, surprising for a lot of fans, also for some of us in the media, where you had guys like Brandon Clark, you had guys like Nasir Little still there at 19, and instead they went with the guy that they've been that they've been scouting for a long time, and Lucas Simonic, um, where you know that he's probably just based on this roster right now, you know that he's he's really young, 19. He's he's probably going to be playing a lot in Austin in, in year one. Um, whereas two of the, those other two guys might have been able to kind of um, try, try to get a, get a get some rotation minutes uh, in, in year one. Then uh, at 29, Keldon Johnson was actually a really good pick for them where it was a little bit more surprising that he fell that far. I, I saw a lot of mock drafts have him right outside of the lottery from like 15 to like 24 in that range. So the fact that Keldon was there was a really good pick for the Spurs. I think that had had you just flipped it if they took if they took Keldon at 19 and then they took Simonich at, at 29, uh, it would have been more, more appeasing to fans. Uh, but the, the fact that it was like in the opposite order and, and, and like, I, I was on a podcast yesterday where I was uh, telling the other, the other, um, you know, guests that I feel like Luca in the San Antonio base is always going to be kind of compared to, to Brandon Clark and Nasir Little in those, those early years of his career, just because he, he they could have chosen those two players and, and they, they did it and they went with Luca instead. Is I, I guess my, and I probably placed, I think Mo has told me to pump the brakes on this before. I probably placed too much stock in fit. Um, when we're looking at drafts and I just, 
like this team, maybe it's not their MO either way, but I thought they just needed like a combo wing, someone who could defend both the three and four. And I think they end up with, you know, guys who I, I guess Keldon Johnson's fine. He has the wingspan. It's almost six ten, I think, to go two and three, but you're not gonna go with Smonich to guard any wings, I don't think. So I I just thought maybe they try and target a combo forward, especially knowing that Rudy Gay, while we all expect him to be back, was entering free agency and that they don't really have that that other guy aside from Gay on their roster right now. Yeah, and, and, and you know, th- that, that's why I think that, I don't know if that player was there at that at that range, um, you know, at 19. Sure. Uh, I know that P.J. Washington was a guy that they really wanted. I know Rui Hakimura had been in, uh, rumored if he had fallen that far, but obviously he went really early in, in the lottery. Uh, so I think that they, they definitely wanted that 6'8 type of guy. Um, I don't know if, the, if that, again, like that player was there. So I think that they went with Keldon. And in really, in, in Coach Pop's system right now, um, if you look back at the last two years, he plays a lot of um, basically what I, what I like to call two shooting guard lineups, where he has like DeRozan slot at the three. Uh, he'll have like somebody like Marco Bellinelli at the three. So I feel like in their, their system right now, in their rotations, they do have a lot of lineups at Spurs where since Kawhi's gone – they uh they just put two shooting guards together in most of their lineups and there's not there's no natural like six eight guy in, in there anymore. I guess they kind of have to do that now too with mm-hmm. their their roster so guard heavy. Uh, Mo, uh, did you have any thoughts on the Spurs' draft day? No, I mean my thing with the Spurs is just like they're always going to draft somebody and then later on I'm going to be like okay I see why you did it I love him. <laughs> um, it, it's it's just. They do a very good job scouting and obviously better than anybody, I think, internationally. Uh, and that's why I'm not surprised they went with Luca, you know, at 19 when they did, just because it was this is something they take very serious in, and they take a lot of pride in it, having basically become the international team before it was cool. Uh, so I think that's kind of what I expect from the Spurs in that in that sense. It'll, it'll be interesting to kind of see how they how they build. But you know, you you kind of hinted at it, Dan. It's I'm never like thinking these guys are going to come in right away and, and and have immediate success, especially in San Antonio, as Paul probably is used to by now. They mm-hmm. they kind of drip free, drip feed these rookies into situations and eventually sort of build these guys up. So it's not like I, you know, I I don't have crazy expectations on these guys, you know, from from the Spurs organization. Paul, did you have any strong impression? Well, I'm assuming you had strong impressions, but DeMar DeRozan finishes year one with the Spurs. Was there anything that you were surprised by in a good way, a bad way? And my more specific question for him is, when you look at now how guard-heavy this roster is with Murray coming back, uh, Derek White's emergence, Lonnie Walker, we'll assume that he'll be healthy and maybe actually play next time. Now you have Keldon Johnson. With him playing more small forward, I know they steered completely away from his three-point volume, which has never been his game but do you think that that's going to need to change it all a little bit if they want him to successfully coexist with Dejounte Murray or are you just not concerned with that at all no, no I think that that they definitely want that 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 to increase a little bit obviously you know he won't become a high volume shooter just overnight but you know they, they, they slowly want it to happen coach pop mentioned that in his um his postseason uh um uh interview where he, he basically said you know we got to get LaMarcus and, and DeMar to take more threes and for me, honestly, though, it's just really hard hard to do that with two of these guys on the roster. I think that if, if they had one player who who is um you know who wasn't a high volume three point shooter, it'd be fine. But the fact that they have two of their go to guys who just don't do that, um, I think that the the adaptation to that will be easier for Lamarcus because he does do more of the pick and pop, whereas DeRozan, a lot of his mid range looks come, do come off of, off the dribble type of 
uh, off of plays. So, uh, you know, I think that they definitely want to see a little bit of an increase. I don't know how much he'll, 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 he'll boost it up, maybe one or two attempts a game if they're wide open, uh, those kind of spot-up shots. Um, but, but, you know, I was really surprised just, just uh, you know, from my, from my side because, you know, I, only saw, I basically only saw DeMar whenever I watched East Coast games and stuff like that when he was with Toronto. So I didn't pay too, too much attention for him. I know there was a lot of the stuff about the, the mid-range, which that was true. But I was really surprised that at his, uh, his playmaking was really, really impressive in my opinion where he was, he was really good about penetrating the defense, getting the, getting the defense to shift, focus on him, and then kicking out. Uh, he was a leading. He was a leading guy on the Spurs who got most of their their, their role players or three point shots. So um, it, for me, it was just more about his faci- facilitation that was really impressive. Um, his on ball defense wasn't was it horrible, especially when he was engaged. But then you did see you know what people were refer- referring to when he when he does fall asleep, when he doesn't take it as seriously, putting all that effort on the defensive end. And I was surprised by that. Even even being under Coach Pop, I thought that one might that might have lit a fire in him to be a little bit more, um, you know, put more emphasis on the defensive end. But but he even had lapses uh, during the playoffs uh, with, with uh, under Coach Pop. So um, that was kind of my impression of Demar. His maybe he's just easier to scheme for in the playoffs. Mo could probably speak better that to this than me but or you as well obviously but his like deceleration and the, the pick and roll and just sort of change of pace stuff over the past two or three years that's something that's really stood out um it like amid his evolution I just feel like these past two or three seasons he's been a fantastic playmaker yeah I think that's kind of like really where his growth has been I mean the fact that he averaged you know just over six assists a season was was at least a surprise for me. Maybe I haven't been paying enough attention to him, but the, the his ability to kind of facilitate a lot more was something that surprised me and I thought was really kind of helpful for the squad once once Murray went down. I mean, it was kind of a weird season in the sense of, you know, the, there there's a lot of high expectations. Paul, you, you can probably speak to it a bit, and I'm sure we'll get to it, but, like, high expectations that this was going to be a huge year for Murray. Then he goes down with an ACL, and it kind of changes things, and you have to sort of figure out rotation. So DeRozan kind of being able to to create for others and and, and make plays for guys and, and and create out of the pick and roll, like you said, Dan, it, it, it was huge for the team. I mean, uh, I I have to be honest, I didn't expect them to be even in the playoffs this year. So, um, you know, this was, it was a big, uh, a big jump for him. I was surprised by that. I don't know if uh, um, that was the one thing where I was like, damn, okay, DeMarco, get it. <laughs> it's, and does it, with, you know, Mo mentioned Murray, does it change the calculus of how the Spurs sort of go from here now that they have DeRozan? I don't know. I'm assuming the plan and, like, is this, is it nuclear, I guess what I'm trying to say, to think that will they maybe bring Murray off the bench to start when he's coming back? I know you said they're fine with guard-heavy lineups, but the spacing gets really tough if you have Aldridge and DeRozan and Murray on the floor at the same time, and then White hasn't White was great, but he hasn't proved himself to be like this high volume three point shooter either. And so, do you think that's on the table, or is this just very much you know Murray was supposed to be that swing prospect for the Spurs last year? At most, said it. Everyone pegged this uh, past season as his breakout year, and so he'll immediately be in the starting lineup, and we can you know depend on the Spurs to run their off ball stuff that will then manufacture space there that way. Yeah, that, that's actually that's actually a big question here is, is uh, you know, what kind of lineups are they going to throw out there, especially the starting lineup? Um, you know, s- some of us have, have assumed in the media that they, that they might start Murray at the one, put put White at the two and then keep DeMar at the three. Try that out. And if the spacing is terrible, if the offense, if, if the defensive benefits uh, aren't, aren't worthy enough to or that beneficial to to uh, make those gains that that that, that um, 
those uh, decreases on offense, well, then maybe you do got to experiment with either bringing Murray off the bench or, uh, bench or bringing Derek White off the bench uh, as type of like a six-man, a, a Monty Ginobili-type role for either of those players. But I think that they definitely want to try both of them out together, White and Murray, just because their defensive presence. I mean, we saw it from, from both of them. Uh, Murray, before he got injured, was an all-NBA-level uh, defender. Uh, Derek White, uh, you know, got some some votes for um for all defensive team, uh, even though he only played like I would say I want to say like 70 or 80 percent of the season because he too was hurt to start the year. So I think that they definitely want to try having just two guard lineup out there like they like they used to be able to have with Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green, where they could just have those two guys play play your two best offensive perimeter players, and then obviously those two guys would also hide a lot of the weaknesses of, of Demar uh, being out there with them. Uh, but again, like you mentioned, Mo, I mean, uh, uh, Dan, uh, the, the spacing issue is there. Murray was, you know, before he got injured last year in the preseason, we did get to see him. Um, and, he, and he was, you know, he had put all these videos on Instagram of him developing his, his jump shot. And it looked good in the preseason. I mean, he was really confident just coming off the screen if the defense was going under. And he'd take that shot with confidence. And, and the form looked good. Chip England's worked with him on that the last two or three years. So uh, they were really expecting a big season for Murray. I'm pretty sure they're expecting it now. Um, especially because he uh, next season he can become a restricted free agent. Um, I know that they can give uh, give him an extension now up until uh, the se- before the season starts in October, but I, I don't know if that's very likely just because of the injury situation. So I think they are definitely expecting a huge season from from Murray. And again, as far as rotation, I, I'm really puzzled. I think Pop's going to really experiment with a lot of different things, whether it's bringing guys off the bench or having them all start or you know figuring it out so he finds something that he likes. And and then like that was the thing was his shot was the thing that they thought had improved the most, which is what made them think that this was going to be the 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 leap year. So, you know, as Paul was saying, like having him being able to step behind screens in preseason and hit shots before he got injured was kind of the the, the flashes that we everybody was hoping was going to be a consistent thing. You know, obviously it's easy to do in practice when you're shooting with Coach England and 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 all that, and it, it's a different thing to do it in games. So that's the thing everybody's going to really keep an eye on because if he can knock down those shots, then that does really sort of open up the the, the spacing a bit more for them. Do you, either of you, and I'll throw this to Paul first, do you consider like trying really hard to hash out an extension with him this summer since he's coming off an injury? Maybe you could get him cheaper. Uh, I know he he's a clutch guy, I believe, so he's rep by Rich yeah. Paul, and I don't know if you're going to end up getting a bargain, but I'm wondering if this might be a nice opportunity team-wise for them to lock him maybe at a friendly price point if he's looking for that long-term security after suffering that ACL injury. Yeah, I really I want to look. I, want, I would point to somebody like Dante Exum's extension that he recently got the Utah Jazz run nine 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 and a half million each season for like three years. I think that's a pretty safe type of contract. Where again, he's he's coming off an injury. We haven't seen him play, um, you know, and and so. And like you mentioned, Dan, though, I don't know if Clutch would be, would be okay with that. But, you know, I think that conversation might, might take place because uh, they, they can have it between July and uh, October this this coming summer. So so they have some time to have that conversation. I don't know if it'll happen or, or if not. I mean, if he goes into restricted free agency next summer, well, then obviously the, the league is setting his price for him and, and seeing how much he's worth after uh, this coming season with the Spurs. So, so you know, I as far as a percentage, I'd say maybe like a 50-50 that they, that they get something like that done in extension. I know his cap hold next year, if they let him go under, like there's a point where if you want to make sure maximize your cap flexibility, that's just working with his cap hold if, if you can't hash out an extension. But Mo, if, if the deal was like 14 or $15 million a season now, are you waiting or would you extend him and not want to risk it into restricted free agency? Just my argument would be, I don't necessarily know where I fall on this. I'd probably say you sign him to it. I know the smaller cap hold is valuable, but next year's free agency class is rough. And so I feel like mm-hmm. any quality players 
might be subject to over-the-top bids from teams that want to make a splash when they know that the pickings are so slim. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I don't know if 14, 15 million is where I want to want to commit to. I think the number, the sweet spot is kind of like in that Exum range, that nine to 10 million sort of range. I think that's where I'm like, okay, we can, we can make a deal happen. But otherwise I, w- I want to see what he looks like on the court, you know, coming off from ACL and, and the ACL is not what it used to be, right? It used to be like, wow, this is kind of career threatening. Now it's, it's more, uh, you know, we've, we've seen a lot of guys come back from it and, and, and do just fine, and especially how young he is. He should be all right. But you want to kind of you got to be a little bit cautious. So I think like 14, 15 is is probably too high for me. I think at that point I'm willing to just kind of wait it out, see how he does during the season. But if I can get him at nine or 10 and and, and he values that security and, and we can make that deal happen, that's something I would I would probably do um, in that regard. And and. I, at the end of the day, he's still a restricted free agent. So it's not like I'd, I'd right. worry too much um, in that sense. It's not like I feel the pressure of, man, I'm going to lose him for nothing um, in this situation. So I wouldn't, if I'm the Spurs, I wouldn't really go into a deal that I don't feel comfortable with. Is that number too high for you right now, Paul, as well? Yeah, I think so. When you, when you get, I think, well, yeah, definitely when you get, when you get past like 13 for me, I think it's a little bit too high. Just because, again, the fact that, um, that that he is coming off that that injury and, and you, you haven't seen him play, uh, and then also they just don't have a huge huge history. Uh, the Spurs uh, in terms of, of extending their, their their rookies outside of like Kawhi, outside of Tim Duncan, you know Tony Parker, those kind of guys that were you know that they're stalwarts. And yes, the number I threw out was like double his cap hold as well, so that's certainly cause for for pause. Guys are terrible at taking care of their health. Whether it's a knee injury, bad back, or something worse, guys are usually more comfortable rubbing some dirt on it than seeing a doctor. The same is true for erectile dysfunction. Studies show 70% of guys who experience ED don't get treated for it. Thankfully, Roman created an easy way to chat with a doctor online. With Roman, you can get medical care for ED right in the comfort and privacy of your own home. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire and complete an online visit. If your doctor decides that treatment would be appropriate, they can prescribe medication that will be delivered in discreet packaging right to your door with free two-day shipping. Guys, go talk to the doctor. Erectile dysfunction can be tough to tackle, but it's really important to get checked out. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash BlueWire for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash BlueWire. Derek White, is his, do, you, do you think that his offensive responsibility might increase next season, or is that a moot point since you have Murray coming back? I was wondering if you might see him do more off-the-dribble stuff there. And my, my more pressing question is, so now that Murray's, coming back are we gonna have to see Derek White who defended a lot of point guards and I know that you know matchups are very fluid and, and so are schemes but is he gonna have to get used to maybe defending bigger wings now because you're gonna have Murray on the court and if you're gonna play them with DeRozan he's going to be the natural I guess option to then take um the the player on the perimeter that DeRozan can't cover yeah, I, I think for sure. Now, as far as his offensive role, I, I am a little worried about that. I feel like, like you know, just him and DeRozan together a lot of times, there was there was some issues where, like, he wasn't, you know, he, he would become just kind of a spot-up shooter because DeMar had the ball in his hands to, like, to run the pick-and-roll a lot. 
And and luckily enough in the playoffs they got they got Derek to be a little bit more aggressive until Denver you know schemed around and, and shut him down. However, um, you know having another ball handler in there with Murray, you really feel like if they all start together that that you know it's going to be Derek's Derek's uh, evolution as a ball as a as a playmaker is going to kind of decrease a little bit. I know that he's already made the comment that he's working on his threes. That's his main focus right now because obviously he knows he's going to be getting a lot of spot up opportunities. So that's why I do ask that question if, um, you know, maybe they will eventually go back to, to putting him off the bench and making him like the sixth man. Because cause if, he, if he's your guy off the bench, well, then now all of a sudden he can create on his own. You know, he can be that guy who can create a uh, pick and roll for, for, the, for the secondary unit where they don't have a lot of that playmaking um, coming off the bench. Now, as far as defensively, I, I think that he, uh, Coach Pop is comfortable with him guarding a lot of different wings. I know that one specific um, uh, game last year that, that came to mind was when, when the Raptors played the Spurs in San Antonio. And also in Toronto was that Pop wanted Derek White on on, um, on Kawhi Leonard. And, you know, he, he, you know, obviously no one can stop Kawhi. We saw that in the NBA Finals. But he guarded him pretty well. You know, as much as he's, he's only a 6'4", 6'5", uh, he, he has a really good frame on himself, uh, Derek White. He's a really good defender. He's a very smart, high intelligent kind of guy where he won't get himself in, in too much foul trouble. So, um, you know, I think he's comfortable guarding different wings. Uh, you know, I think when you put on somebody like LeBron, that's going to become an issue. But there, there aren't a lot of LeBron James in, in this league. So I think that just, you know, as long as it's not a huge, like, physical, overpowering type of uh, um, three or four, I think Derek's okay. Uh, and then, of course, you know, he can just switch off with uh, with Murray whenever they run a pick for those those two. No, as someone who is uh, a little bit more removed from the Spurs organization, who do you think is more important to this team's future right now, White or Murray? I'm probably going to go Murray. Um, they, The Spurs don't hype up a lot of guys, right? Like, that was the thing that was surprising going into last season going at the start of the season, um, you know, was like hearing the talk of like, yo, Murray's going to really have a breakout year. You never hear that from the organization. Um, it's never really kind of like, like that. So the, they were excited, you know, and they were kind of electric with that. And, and I think he's kind of got the, the frame and what they want kind of going forward. I think he's, he's an interesting tall guard sort of deal. I think he's, he's probably more important to me. I mean, and I don't think, like this isn't to say anything bad about White. White had a freaking breakout playoffs and and was phenomenal for the team all year. I mean, checking Kawhi like Paul was saying at times and 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 accepting every challenge that went his way. So you know, it's not like White isn't important, but I just think Murray kind of has that just a little bit of that extra edge right now. Um, and and I think that's kind of a guy that they've sort of pegged being a a core piece going forward. Do you agree, Paul? Yeah, I agree 100 percent there. Um, you know, Murray just has that, you know, he just doesn't right now, in my opinion, he just doesn't have like, a, like there's not a ceiling on him yet where he can just take his game to another level, just depending on, on how much more he adds. He's got, you know, the athletic ability. He's got the, the physical the physicality. He's got a lot of different, um, you know, aspects that, that, that White just doesn't have that, that could evolve well for Murray, um, you know, to get to, 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 to one day possibly being an all star down the road. Uh, again, it just depends on where his where his game goes and, you know, and how much productive he is. But but I feel like yeah, it definitely there, there's more there's more of a ceiling for him than, than for White. Were you able to get any type of feel for Lonnie Walker's game over the course of his rookie year? And slash, you know, I know we dealt with a bunch of knee and ankle stuff last year, I believe. Is there going, do you think there's going to be an opportunity for him to crack the rotation more often and get more minutes? Is that going to still be hard-pressed? Um, be, because, again, when you look at this roster with, with all the guards on it, or even just, again, coming back to that general question, uh, in such limited playing time, were you able to get a feel for what he was able to do at all last season? I mean, just yeah, like you said, uh, you know, he spent most of his time in Austin. He did get he was hurt um, like two or three times during the year, uh, 
And, you know, when he when he played in San Antonio, when he played in some garbage minutes or, or when, um, you know, the Spurs were down by like 10 or 15 and Pop was mad, he'd put he put in Lonnie just to, you know, try to get try to inject some some sort of energy into the into the game. And, you know, he had some success. He had some failure doing that. Um, from what I took away, basically, was that he was still not ready yet for the NBA level. Um, you know, he's you just look at him athleticism wise like he's like you, you look at him when, when he's in the game and he just doesn't feel with the rest of the spurs i mean he's just jumping out of the gym he's he's running up and down the court like super fast the other guys you just can't expect that from somebody like marco bellinelli or demar Derozan. so in a way you just see his athleticism and it just stands out that wow this these they are missing this kind of player however you know he's not he's not quite ready yet for um you know just to, to, to do what they need to do whether um, you know that's that's like like when they they move, when they move the ball to him and it was in the spot up he can shoot the three but like when a defense closed out on him he 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 didn't make the the, the right kind of um uh, a plays he he ran to pick and roll where you know right away the first thing he did was when the pick was set he just right away went for like a mid range jumper so he you know he he just needs the, the reps in my opinion now I am worried that he's not going to get those this coming season as of right now just because of all the depth they still have there at the guard position you know you have Dejounte coming back. Which means that Brent Forbes might move to the bench, and Pop really, really likes Brent Forbes. He trusts him a lot. He was really good in the playoffs for them. So you got Brent Forbes in front of him. You still got Marco Bellinelli there, who Pop's still going to trust ahead of um, a second-year player in Lonnie Walker. You still got DeRozan, like like we we talked about. So there's just a lot of more guards and, and wings ahead of him in the rotation right now. And I feel like he really, really has to play really well in training camp in the early part of the season to try to. He's basically, in my opinion trying to battle Bellinelli and Bryn Forbes for any kind of minutes. So he has to basically play better than them. Uh, uh, and the area it's going to be is on defense, which isn't quite his, um, you know, the, the area that, that I saw, you know, that, that he was do, doing well is more so his offense. So so I feel like if he can go to another level on defense uh, that, that, that Bellinelli and, and Forbes definitely can't, then that's the only way I can see him cracking the rotation for some kind of minutes. Did and I, that's, the oh, best, ahead, that's the best way to crack the rotation. You know, especially in San Antonio, right? If you can find a way to defend, like, Pop will find a way to play you. Bryn Forbes was surprising. I thought he was going to be, like, a huge problem defensively for the Spurs last year, and it didn't seem like he was. And I also had probably close to zero idea that, I know he cooled off towards the end of the regular season, but he was, I would say for most of the year, probably their best, like, just off-the-dribble shooter. I know you have DeMar DeRozan, but he... Before the All-Star break, Brent Forbes was shooting over 40% on a pretty high volume of, of pull-up three-pointers. Was that, like, did Brent Forbes' performance take you back at all, Paul, or is that something you saw traces of um, in, in the season prior? No, 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 no. He, he really, really went to, um, you know, another level last year in terms of just everything he did. I mean, when, when, when we talked about, like, when Murray got hurt and then and then uh, Derek White in the first part of the season, it was actually Brent Forbes who had to play the one for San Antonio. He was their starting point guard for, like, the first 15 games of the season. So he had that responsibility on offense, and he did he, they did well with him there. Uh, and then, of course, he, he just slotted over to the, to the two guard for the rest of the year, and Pop really, really liked him there. Pop just basically praised him nightly. I mean, he would say stuff like, we can't let Bryn, you know, we, we got to tear Bryn's contract because if he sees that, that he's make, he's only making that much money and he's worth this much more. Like, Paul basically said that, you know, that they got a bargain for him and, and in terms of the production that he was giving them last season. Obviously, um, you know, his only weakness is the defense. And, and it's not because he doesn't try. It's just because of the physical frame. He's only 6'3". Uh, he's a very small guard, doesn't have long arms. So so he does struggle there. Uh, but, you know, he really puts in the effort. Uh, he's a very smart, smart player, IQ-wise, knows where to be in the right place. Uh, and like you mentioned, Dan, he's not afraid of a closeout. You know, he will put on the floor. He will take a mid-range shot. Sometimes he'll take it to the rim. And, you know, for me, what was really surprising was just the fact that, I mean, he was one of their their consistent players throughout the playoffs. I know like guys like Marco Bellinelli, 
Davis Bertans, Patty Mills, those guys basically disappeared when Denver took them out of their comfort zones. But Brim continued to produce uh, throughout that, that that seven game series. He was always there. He was reliable. I, I didn't feel like he was going to miss a lot of his shots when he took them. So, so like I said, for Lonnie or even like somebody like Keldon Johnson, it's going to be hard for those guys to beat out Brim from this rotation right now. Yeah, he was Brim for. I didn't realize he shot forty eight point four percent from three in that Denver series. That is absolutely um, wild. Mo, are you? Are you sold on Jakob Pertl as the Spurs' primary big now behind LaMarcus Aldridge, and not just because he's one of only uh, two, basically, aside from Aldridge, under under contract? I know he's, like, you look at the analytics and, and what he does, and, and he's a good player, just like a beast on the glass. Uh, he made he makes nice passes and screens on, on handoffs. He's a pretty good diver. Uh, his defense around the basket is fine. Do you think his role or what he does is something that translates into, a, a like, an appreciably larger role because his minutes were tamped down for much of the year and i know they increased um towards the end of the regular season um first off i'd like you to refer to him by his proper name which is jake puddle uh can we that's first of all puddle's a fantastic pronunciation of what his name looks like and i think that that should, that should be his official nickname on basketball reference i don't know where paul lands on this but i think jake puddle should be like the official basketball reference nickname for him well, I'm I'm going to look at his I'm going to look at his nicknames now now <laughs> on Basketball <laughs> Reference because now I'm curious. Um, I don't even think but, he has one, right? No, he doesn't. I'm looking at it now. That's that's, a cr- just, that's criminal. That's well. we we need to fix that. And, and and the fact that it's not littered right now with everything they did in that Game of Zones episode is <laughs> is is really a failure of the internet. And I just say to the internet, do better, people. Um, you know, to to your question though, like. I'm not sure. I was never a huge uh, Portal fan. I never thought like he was. Um, I think he's kind of just a serviceable big, you know. Um, I, I, I just don't feel like he's he's gonna come in and give you huge starter minutes. He's not gonna really kind of carry you. I think he's the kind of guy that comes in and gives you a lift off the bench. I think he gives you the energy you need, but th- I. I I worry about asking him to do too much. Um, maybe I'm undervaluing him. Um, but just from what I've seen in, in the two years in Toronto and, and even last year with the Spurs, it just, I don't feel like, I feel like this is the proper role for him. I don't feel like a, a, a bigger role and we're going to be like, wow, he's really good. Or, or it's not going to be a situation where we're blown away by it. I just think he's, he, this is who he is. And, 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 and that's fine. It's good. It's, uh, teams all need these types of guys um, to come in and kind of bring a little more juice and energy and, and, and whatnot. So that's kind of the way I look at it with uh, 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 Portal. I almost said Puddle. Uh, Portal. <laughs> um, Paul, basically the same question to you, but with the added layer of can we now, is one maybe one of the benefits of how the Spurs have so little roster flexibility when you look at the body count that we can get rid of those Jake Puddle, you're welcome, Mo, and uh, LaMarcus Aldridge lineup combinations because those were not good last year. Now I'm wondering if because you have so few bigs, you can kind of deviate away from that. And I was also surprised, I was looking this up beforehand, that he played, uh, this is not this is from cleaning the glass, and so it doesn't include garbage time, but he played almost 650 possessions alongside LaMarcus Aldridge. And that just, looking at what they both do, I know the Spurs have valued dual big lineups in the past, but that just never felt like a, a, a combination that was going to be very productive for them. Yeah, so so you know pop, you know it's it's weird because uh, pop 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 experimented with with those two throughout the year. So what he did was he started off with, with Aldridge and Pirtle together, your classic four five lineup. 
Then uh, during the during the season, he went he went to a more modern game where he put Rudy Gay as a four. He brought Jakob off the bench. And so uh, the numbers obviously showed way better with, with that type of lineup. But then toward the end of the season, I want to say around late March, uh, I mean middle March, uh, he started he, he started going back to that that, um, that that classic lineup of two bigs with Jakob and, and Lamarcus. And then of course it made sense against Denver just because they were you know more than one of those teams that does play the traditional style of two bigs with Paul Millsap and, and Nikola Jokic there. So so as far as the playoffs, it was kind of expected just because that was the matchup they got. Now again, I don't know why he went away from it though. He just didn't like it with Rudy at the at the four, or he even experimented with some Davis Bertans at the four. But he he just didn't like it. I know he's made the comment pop especially at the end of the year that LaMarcus just wants to play the four. That's still the, the position that he's more preferential about. That's what LaMarcus has said in commentary. So I don't know if it's more so about just, I don't know if he's trying to make LaMarcus feel more comfortable by, by putting, sticking him still at the four, which obviously isn't good. We see what the numbers, the numbers do not lie that, 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 that lineup with Jakob and, and LaMarcus really struggles uh, together. Um, so I, I don't know if that's what it's more about the, the preference of, of LaMarcus so, um, you know, right now, as far as starting the year, I think that he is going to try to, if they re-sign Rudy Gay, he will try to go back to with Rudy Gay at the four and LaMarcus at the five, which brings Jakob off the bench again. So, again, I, I kind of agree with Mo where I can't see his, you know, his game expanding that that much more, where he's either going to be that 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 traditional, you know, rim-running big, um, plays good defense, you know, as far as, as, as taking care of his area where he's responsible for, um, you know, whether that's starting next to LaMarcus or whether that's just coming off the bench and, and being a guy, you know, c- coming off the bench for them, basically. So so I, I don't feel like he's going to get a huge expansive role coming into this next season. Uh, and, and again, like, like we've talked about, you know, this is the, this is the type of big man that's kind of just slowly, you know, you know, dying out of the NBA is that those classic guys who, who just, you know, kind of set screens, rim run. Uh, play style defense, but you know they, they just don't have that extra layer of, of offensive versatility, like shooting three or putting the ball on the floor, and that's kind of what Yak was missing. And so, you know, that, that's kind of where, where I'm at with him. Mo, I here's a good question. I'm assuming you might have a better feel for it, having been around players so much in your career. What is the why? Why are some players married to like their position, where it's you know Anthony Davis never really wants to play the five, even though that's probably his best position. Now, you know, as Paul mentioned with Aldridge, what is the like, what is the rationale behind that? I'm going to be honest. I have no idea, Dan. That makes me this, feel really good. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's no uh, – uh, I I got it with – with. there was a time I think part of it was like when Shaq was a center. Like I understood Tim Duncan saying like, no, no, I'm a power forward. It was about making like <laughs> all-star games. <laughs> like as, right. as, as silly as it is like there's always kind of like weird things like that and 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 that classification matters um i i don't get it now and 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 it's just in general nba like we're it's a positionless game now almost you know and 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 the guys that are playing before like 10 years ago rudy gay playing the four wasn't something we thought of you know as as normal um and now we're like that's his position and you know, where Zion comes into the league and we're saying, you know, oh, he's going to be a small ball five, too, and and stuff like that. I think we've we've gotten away from just the, the classic definitions of of position. And um, it's 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 weird to see these guys kind of get hung up on it. So just to, to answer your original question, no clue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's actually really good to know then. And yeah, it's like think about how far we've come where uh, like I'm sure both of you remember Kevin Garnett comes into the league and he basically played, I think, some three as a rookie. And so now to where we are now, where it's, yeah, LaMarcus Aldridge should not be playing the four. This, this feels like the, the question that I just don't want to ask because it's the Spurs and 
but when you look at Paul, you published this piece at Project Spurs. Everyone should check it out about the roster count problems they're going to incur. If we assume Rudy Gay comes back, which is one, the prevailing assumption, and two, I think ultra necessary when you look at the makeup of their roster right now, they're going to be at 14 guaranteed contracts. Do you think then that there'll be a trade, however small time, or are the Spurs just more likely to add one free agent and then they'll run it back basically like this? Yeah, I think that that they got. I think they're going to look at you know just inquiring. You know, what is the what are teams willing to offer for for Brent Forrest maybe for for Marco Bellinelli for Davis Bertans? Those are the three most attractive contracts in terms of their role players right now. Just because they're on the last year of their deal, those are players who could easily contribute to another team right now in any in anyone's rotation. And also, you know, it, for the fact of, of Bellinelli or Forbes, it, it does give. Those minutes, like we talked about for, for Lonnie Walker, it gives him a chance to actually get a real role, so the Spurs could see, you know, what is he turning into. Uh, some, that, you know, that, that's what that's what Derek White got, that's what Dejounte Murray got. In year two is when they got their actual their, their actual their, their first, you know, you know, feet wet in terms of, of getting a real role with Coach Pop. So I feel like the only way those Lonnie Walker is getting any kind of minutes or. or um, is if Bert Bellinelli or Forbes, one of those two guys, is gone, and then also you have to look at Davis Bertans. You know, if Rudy comes back. You know, we saw in the playoffs that Davis basically became a DNP where Pop was not going to play him. He just didn't trust him out there against Denver. Um, he's really pigeonholed into that four spot where he's not as big enough or physical enough to guard fives today, but he's also not quick enough on the perimeter to guard threes. Um, so so Davis, I think, is also a name where you look at, is he going to get traded that way? Um, you know, it, it might give Simonich some more minutes uh, or just, you know, in, in terms of, um, you know, if it, 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 it could give LaMarcus more minutes at the 4-2 if that's where they want to go with those minutes too. So... So I think that those are the three players that if they are going to make a move this coming week or, um, you know, when free agency starts to open up some roster space, I think those are the three players they're going to look at in terms of, uh, you know, wanting to get those younger players some more minutes. Uh, if they don't, uh, if they don't end up making a deal, does it does it maybe necessitate maybe more Davis Bertans at the five? I know they basically, I think it was like sub 30 possessions they used him at center last year. Is that something they might be more willing to go to in second units or is it just very clearly... Coach Pop is a hardline stance that Davis is just not going to be a center. Yeah, I mean, it, it depends too on the on the opponent. You know, if they're they're playing the Warriors and Draymond Green's at the five, or like you said, they're playing they're playing the Pelicans and Zion's at the five. Maybe they will do it, but you know, not every team does that, especially now they're in the regular season. Uh, so so I, again, right now, just from what I've seen, I don't think Coach Pop would, would trust him there at the five too too much. But um, you know he's really going to be—he's not going to have a lot of minutes. So again, like when when uh, when 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 Rudy's healthy and and he's either starting or coming off the bench, there's just not a lot of minutes for Davis. So I don't know how his game's going to going to progress in, in year in year three or four. I think it is for him. So so again, that's kind of where I fall on, on that question. Mo, do you think that there's going to be like a surprise? Maybe it's not a surprise, but do you think there's going to be like a a roster shedding move here for San Antonio over the off season? I I don't think so. Um... I think they might bring in a center. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be shocked if if they found a way to bring in like Robin Lopez um, on a deal and 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 kind of be a big man for them and 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 move as much as we just talked about Aldridge not playing the four, but move Aldridge to the four and go to that traditional lineup that they're used to. Um, but I wouldn't be. But nothing. I don't see them making any moves where we're like, oh man, what a huge get for the Spurs. Um, I can't even remember. I think the last time they they made a trade that had everybody excited was for Richard Jefferson, um, <laughs> and, and and I think that was kind of, um, and obviously that didn't really uh, bring any uh, true success in the Spurs style of of or Spurs definition of success. So I'm not sure if we're going to see them really kind of go crazy or nuts. I think you know this year is going to really be about 
these young guards and the young kids they have and and see what Murray can do, see what Walker can do, see what Forbes brings and 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 how white develops and and those things. I think there's going to be kind of a a, a a weird sort of um transition this year from from kind of, you know, the old to the younger guys and and I think we're going to start to see that. If they do move a guy, I mean, I don't I don't know uh Paul like what what are the chances of somebody like Patty Mills or is Mills just so entrenched into that organization at this point um that it it would be shocking to even think about moving him. No, I, I think it's it's not really it wouldn't be shocking, but um it would be more so it's because of the contract. It's, it's that's actually probably the, the one on an attractive contract for them is that you know Patty's making twelve million this year, and he also has thirteen on the books next year. So I feel like the only way they're moving Patty is uh, if you know they're trying to open up some sort of cap space, which I don't think that's happening. So so um just it's for me it's more so about his contract, but also you know Coach Popley likes him. He's he's basically the locker room leader there for them. So I don't see Patty getting moved. I mean you you can't you can't help but love Patty. Like I dealt with him in Australia for for uh three summers um you know it, it all the stories of how great he is in the locker room are uh almost underrated like he's just a phenomenal dude and and, and i can only imagine how much better he is now because i had young patty um <laughs> I, I can only imagine now how much better he is and 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 ha- more mature now in the in those regards and he's just the kind of dude i mean like we talk about glue guys and, and and I think the the ultimate glue guy has always been Shane Battier, but but Patty Mills is kind of in that mold of like just keeping guys together and stuff. And, and and I think that was something we saw with the older teams, you know, that they they loved Patty. And I think it's something that's going to continue on. So I do understand the reluctance to kind of move him, but I think there's going to be, I don't know, man. When teams strike out this summer, there might be a few teams that could be interested in having a guy like him. Uh, and, and and his shooting uh, on their roster and, and and even his leadership. So uh, maybe that gets interesting. I'm also just kind of throwing it out there. I'm just saying, I know Mo has to skedaddle, but if the Indiana Pacers are thinking about paying Ricky Rubio actual money, uh, they should instead look at how much it costs to trade for Patty Mills. I'd rather pay him the 25 point something million over over two years than than put Ricky Rubio on that team with that fit. Just that's uh, just Dan- food for thought. Dan, I do got I do got to leave. Um, I just want to uh, make fun of you a little bit for using the word skedaddle. I don't I don't know. <laughs> you don't the like the time. word skedaddle? Then you can no, skedaddle I just don't know out of here. I, heard it. I just don't know the last time I heard it from somebody. Um, not you know collecting social security. So um, <laughs> you, you know, so uh, it was uh, uh, interesting use of a term. Sorry guys, I do have to leave. Paul, uh, I appreciate you. I love your stuff, man. So uh, keep grinding and. Um, yeah, well, I'm, I'm part of the Spurs family. That was part of the reason why I wanted to jump on, Dan. I wanted to make sure you didn't really uh, slander the Spurs at all. Otherwise, I'd have to come down and hit you at some point. Don't worry. The slandering starts in T-minus three seconds when you when you exit the call. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> all right, guys. All right, man. Take care. Thanks, Mo. Harry's Razors is helping Blue Wire listeners with a better shaving experience. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire to save $10 on a value trial set, which includes a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. 
enough with the cheap razors. Go try Harry's now. It's just $3 for our loyal listeners. Harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your official trial offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Again, make sure to go to harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your razor for only $3. Paul, so uh, this is... And we're actually close to the end here, so I won't keep you yeah. much longer either. But if they, th- so they have the, they should have the non-taxpayers mid-level exception, unless Rudy Gay's next contract gets absurd, or maybe they try and go like the super balloon one year or around those lines. I know Mo mentioned them maybe targeting a big. If they had a few roster spots and we're looking at league minimum money, okay. But I was really kind of hoping, like against hope, maybe that they'll use that money to. Or at least, even if they're not planning on cutting into or knifing into it substantially, that they'll prioritize maybe getting a combo forward. Do you see either one what they'll do with their what you think they'll do with their uh, mid-level exception, and two, are there any guys that you think they should that you'd like them to go out and target with that money? Yeah. So, so this has kind of been a, a, an interesting, interesting question. I've, I've kind of gone back and forth with this question, uh, especially with some some media members here in San Antonio, where. We're looking at the roster, like we talked about, you know, it's 14 going to be maxed if, if Rudy Gay comes back, um, where they have one spot open only. I know that that the, the one guy we've seen that, they, that they've been targeting in uh, different reports is Boyan Bogdanovich. Now, the problem there is that he may be out of their price range where he may be getting o- over $15 million each season, which that's not the kind of money they're going to have. So so that's interesting, the fact that they want somebody like Bogdanovich, who's more of an offensive um, you know, you know, threat who can kind of create from the three and four, uh, create his own shot. And that's something that they were missing in the playoffs with somebody who can kind of, when, when the game slowed down and Denver took away DeM- DeM- LaMarcus and, and DeMar and, and Derek White, they didn't have a lot of options in terms of breaking down the defense. And that's kind of where they really struggled more so was on um, was on offense and in, in, in game seven. So um, it looks like they want another playmaker out there. As good as Rudy is, he's not quite there anymore in terms of just creating his own shot, kind of mm-hmm. t- taking over an offense. He's just not able to do that. So I think that that's why you've seen Bogdanovich's name. Uh, other players I like there at that con- that that three four spot is somebody like Trevor Reza is a guy who they had a, a lot of interest in when he got b- bought out last year by uh, by uh, Phoenix, I believe it was, or or whatever that situation was, or, or got traded. I'm should I say. Uh, where they wanted Ariza, he's a name who's more that defender, that three and D type of wing. Um, then there's just a few other guys that are just have that that that, that classic three and D style, like Damari Carroll's out there. Um, you know, I, I don't know DeMari if those are the kind Carroll of guys seems that like he'd be perfect for them. Yeah, and, and again, for for me, from my perspective, I just don't know if if uh, I think for for me, like if you get someone like Demar Carroll or Trevor Ariza, I feel like then you're definitely taking away a lot of minutes from 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 Lonnie uh, eventually becoming something next year. Uh, because again, there's just another veteran in front of him who coach, who coach Pop's going to trust more so ahead of him. So, so again, I don't know who they're quite targeting in terms of a big, I'm just thinking like a backup big, like, like, uh, somebody who can either start next to LaMarcus or just come off the bench. And, and like, like, uh, like Mo had said, Robin Lopez is a name to keep an eye on maybe like a switchable big, like, like, uh, Al Farouk Aminu is out there. Uh, there's just those kind of players too, where, or it's going to have to be somebody who's going to be okay with coming off the bench at different times uh, for this team. So I'm not quite sure where they're going to put their, where they're going to use that money, that mid-level exception of $9 million. But, um, you know, that's kind of where, where I'm thinking is some sort of wing or, or big. Uh, a couple names that stood out to me. One, I think he might be too expensive, and he's kind of the antithesis of Spurs basketball. 
But what would you think of looking at like the combo wing spot of a Marcus Morris? Marcus, no, no, I, I think I think he would also be a, a, a good kind of player. Again, I, I'm not sure. What he, I think like you're right where his market thing's going to be a little bit more than than than, uh, than the Spurs want to pay. I think he he could get like one of those bloated contracts where a team misses out mm-hmm. on certain. Um, yeah, oh, actually, here I see right here. Nine, yeah, he's expected to make around nine million to twenty million depending on where he goes. <laughs> just depending. Like if uh, that's from Bobby Marks, like if again, like like we said, like if the team just needs to fill cap space, right. they can sign up to like an $18, 20000000 million dollar deal. Or if he wants to play on a on a playoff contender, uh, he, he can go for that mid level exception. The two other names, I think they're both would be more realistic, at least for the Spurs' price range. Well, this is assuming he killed his. I think he did hurt his value a little bit in the playoffs. But Nikola Mirotic. Oh yeah, no no, uh, Mirotic is a player that that I really like for them too. Uh, again, he takes he takes minutes away from Davis Bertans, but. I'm also thinking that he, his uh, his contract is going to be a little bit more than than, than the nine million. I think he, he's going to get over twelve million. Oh uh, wow! Coming up, uh, yeah. yeah I guess yeah. if these are short term deals, then it's almost anything goes. And the last one, he's restricted, but with the Mavericks uh, having to pay Kristaps Porzingis and Dwight Powell opting in with the intention of an extension, and then there's been the Al Horford noise. But Maxi Kleba would be interesting for this team if they're looking for a big, and maybe for some reason he ends up becoming unrestricted if. Dallas does uh, end up signing Al Horford. He probably doesn't just because his cap holds so small. I don't know how high, you know, I don't want to funnel if I'm the Spurs a, a good chunk of my mid-level exception into a big when looking at this roster, but he'd be just as the floor spacing rim protector. Uh, he might be someone that you could start alongside LaMarcus Aldridge, but he could play. I would think, and he didn't play a ton of five in Dallas, but he could play in any iteration of the Spurs lineup, like next to LaMarcus or, or Pirtle, or you could even maybe use him at the five and you know have more confidence there with the second unit than you would with Bertans um, playing the, the center. So he's an, an interesting name. He's an interesting name for me in general. I've talked a lot about him for free agency, but the Spurs specifically, that's a name for them, again, depending on what his price range ends up being, that I find a little intriguing. Yeah, no, no, you're right. I think that we, we may see, see a situation where the Mavericks, you know, turn down his qualifying offer or, you know, after like 13 days, they, they don't use it anymore. They just let him go into under 60 for agency. And I, I think that definitely he's a player that the Spurs like to target. Again, my, my issue right there, too, is that he's uh, he's taking a minutes away from Bertans. And so that's kind of the big deal is for me is like, you know, if they get a big, uh, uh, you know, backup big, like we're talking about Cleveland or somebody like this or, uh, you know, how much more do they what, what else they want to see from Bertans? Are they just kind of saying we're giving up on him or, you know, what, what are we doing here with Bertans? So I think that's that, that's a big question, too, is, is you know, w- when they make this kind of move or we hear, start hearing the targets of the players that they're really interested in in free agency, it kind of shows you exactly what, what, where they what they need it. They're trying to shore up on the roster. Do you see a scenario then, since you've mentioned how important it might be? And I do agree with you that, you know, whether you sign a combo wing or a big, it's going to end up taking minutes away from um, younger guys. Do you see a scenario then where they basically don't add anyone, or if they do, it's an afterthought end of bench player, and then this is the uh, the team that we see now is the team. I mean, it's going to be basically the team they run it back with anyway, but that they're really going to prioritize, like, this setup right now, and that Rudy Gay ends up being, like, the most aggressive offseason move that they make. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that. And, you know, obviously the, the fan base here in San Antonio would be very upset if that had, ends up happening. Like if, if you just come in, if you, if you end up just signing one, like, you know, last year they signed Quincy Pondexter and Dante Cunningham. If you sign a, a vet like that, just somebody who's going to be your 15th man who's going to be a good locker room kind of guy, be there if somebody gets injured. If they end up with just that type of move, a guy who's not making, you know, getting that $9 million, I think the fan base would be upset. But it also just shows you that internally they, they think that their younger guys 
are are are, are going to be able to project better than some of these vets who will be stealing minutes from them. Now, again, I do feel that I do find it interesting that Boyan Bogdanovich has been connected there. That that they that they've that they've sought him in multiple reports. So so I feel like that is some a player that we see out on the market that they kind of want. But there's not a lot of Boyan Bogdanovich type profiles out there in free agency right now. So I feel like. That's why maybe um you know maybe they do just you know hold on to that nine million and not spend it and just kind of roll over next year without without having that that big contract on the books of an extra guy at at nine nine or ten million somewhere like that. Um, I think that's a good segue since someone asked about him um, into the mailbag questions that I have flagged. So we have a few of those and I will get you out of here. Um, this is from the the muffin makers boy at muffin makers boy. Do the Spurs go after Boyan? And you kind of touched upon that already. But he also asked. Is there a way to do that without shedding DeMar? And I think there was, I don't know if it was Bobby Marks that actually said it or if he got uh, mistakenly aggregated or something, but that the Spurs would look to trade DeMar DeRozan to open the cap space for Bojan Bogdanovic, which is just, I find find that to be absolutely wild. But on this multi-layered question, I guess I'm curious of your thoughts. Yeah, so um, you know the the reason why uh, you, you're gonna hear Demar's you even coming this coming weekend, even as free agency starts, the first week uh, when some teams strike out in free agency, you're gonna hear Demar's name and trade rumors. And the reason why is because he, uh, we we haven't heard any kind of noise about the uh, the Spurs and him coming to some sort of contract extension, and, and that's gonna be a problem where if they they haven't they, they can start on July 6th to sign up to get a, an extension going. But if they don't, well, then next summer he he can walk her free. He has a he has a player option at 28 million. So if he just you know opts out of that player option and then he's becoming an all, an unrestricted free agent in a market that doesn't have a lot of um, you know high profile names, where he'd easily be one of the one of the most attractive names for a lot of teams that are going to have cap, cap cap space. So you do you are going to wonder this coming summer if they're going to if they're going to try to look at moving him just to see what they get because again he can't walk for free next year. I'm not sure if he's going to you know resign or get an extension with the Spurs just because. You know, he, he's already seen that loyalty doesn't exist in the NBA. He just saw with Toronto where, you know, you know, no matter what you do, you know, you're, you're never you're never going to be just tied to, to that franchise unless you're, you know, someone like LeBron or you're someone like Kawhi or <laughs> Kawhi is a bad example, too. <laughs> anyway, you know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, those, those go to players. So so uh, that's why you're going to hear those, those kind of rumors is that is that th- there's no certainty that, Le- that DeMar can even be on this roster start, um, starting a training camp just because he, he is going to be they're going to be watching him in terms of trade rumors up until February just because, uh, you know, they got to look at are we going to get value from now uh, or during the season. And so um, I think that's part of it of why they were why Bobby was kind of throwing that out there and, and about Boyan just being that, that name that that's consistently tied to them. Now, again, if you, if you lose DeMar. Uh, and, and you're bringing Boyan, you're not getting the, the same quality, the quality of playmaking, but you're you're getting a guy who might fit a little bit better next to Lamarcus as your go-to big. Where well, now all of a sudden you do have a good three-point shooter, a guy who's not afraid to take the three. Uh, he, he can guard kind of the three and four. And Boyan, he's not he's not excellent either as Demar. Um, so so again, I, I think that more so they're, they're looking at Demar as a trade piece just because it does open up that cap room to try to get someone like Boyan, but also because uh, because of his contract status, I think that's why you're going to see his name in trade rumors. And I think the prevailing assumption was that DeMar was going to opt in to the $27.7 million, and he still could, but as we all mentioned before, the 2023 agency class is just so shallow. If he enters it, there's a good chance that he gets, I would, he would definitely get near max money, but maybe someone does throw him, even if it's a shorter term max, just because, the, again, that free agency class really wants for any sort of, of star power, especially if we are going operating under the guise that Anthony Davis is going to re-up long-term with the Lakers. Yeah, no, no, for sure. I mean, I, I've looked at that list. I think it's like Anthony Davis and like Draymond Green are like the two big names and that's it. Like that, yeah. that's it. Like, 
you know, unless some of these guys that are coming into free agency now, like Kevin Durant, Coy Leonard, Kyrie Irving, they say one-year deals, well, then that becomes more interesting next year. But again, there's just not a lot of players out there, and I think that teams are going to, you know, I think the cap goes up to projected to 116 next year, so a $7 mm-hmm. million dollar difference from this year. So, yeah, I mean, there's going to, even though DeMar may not be worthy of a max anymore, I think he will get a max just because of, you know, the, the limited amount of, of attractive players out there next year. Uh, this next question comes from uh, Augustine. It's uh, at a boy Augustine, uh, A B O Y A G U S T I N. He asks, how much cap space do they have, and how much if they trade Bertans? It's tough to get into exacts with it. I would change the question to if they renounced Rudy Gay and maybe found a taker for Bertans. What's a realistic amount of cap space that they could open? I think it's even hard under that scenario. You know, if you renounce Rudy Gay and trade Bertans, you're working with. I have them at between 10 and 12 million, which is only marginally more than the non-taxpayers mid-level exception. Yeah, it's actually, that's kind of what I just got. Was, I just plugged in the numbers real quick, $12 million. That's all they have. So, yeah, I mean, it's a little bit more, though. You know, it can get more with, with that it's in terms of um, you can offer somebody who's going to get at the MLE for most teams, you know, the $9 million, you get them, you, you get you can get them to, to, to maybe sign with you just because you're giving them that $12 million. But, again, it's not, it's not too, too much more where, where you're really, um you know, you know, someone like Logdanovich, just specifically, I think he's still going to get more than that $12 million in any case. Vic, at uh, Masio Vic, at M-A-C-E-O-V-I-K, asks, uh, what's, DeJounte Murray's this season, what are you expecting stats-wise? I will adjust the question again. If you had a peg and over-under for points and assists, and I set it at, let's say, 12 points per game and 5 assists per game, would you take the over or under in either of those categories? So, 12 points, man. That's a, that's actually the tough one right there because it depends on his jumper and also because he's going to be next to Derek White and and uh, DeRozan. The uh, okay, the points I will take the over. The the assists I I might take the under just because again I, I think he's sharing the the court. I mean he's sharing the ball with a lot of play. I think maybe around four three and a half is is a good number just because again he's sharing the ball the, the court with the uh, with DeRozan maybe with Derek White. Or he's not going to get as much reps to uh, to run the offense unless the trade is made. So so that's why I put maybe over in points he can still get those whether it's offensive rebounds going coast to coast with his athleticism his speed, but but the, the assists I just don't know if the, he's constantly going to have be the playmaker for them. I actually was when I looked this up before I was surprised to see that he only averaged four point eight assists per thirty six minutes in the 2017-2018 season. For some reason I thought it was higher. Well, me too. Interesting. Final two questions here. One from Michael King at King Michael three one four, spelled exactly as it sounds. If they are going to shop players, which guards should they be shopping on the trade market? Uh, we talked about this earlier. I think that definitely, like we mentioned, uh, it's got to be Marco Bellinelli and and Bryn Forbes again. Both two guys that are on attractive contracts for teams uh, can easily be inserted into into playoff type rosters. Uh, even somebody like Bryn's so young that he can still play with like a young team like the Hawks or someone just be a good shooter. Uh, so, so I think those are the two guards. Again, I, I don't think Patty's going to be shoppable just because of his contract. He has two years. Uh, DeRozan's out there again because of um, because of the, uh, the the situation with his player option next year, where maybe he's also shoppable. The three guys I don't think are going to be on the market are, are Lonnie Walker, uh, Derek White, and and, and and Murray, just because those are their future guards right now. And also just because you know you know unless unless they're getting some sort of All Star back, I, I don't see those three guys any kind of trade rumors. The DeRozan stuff too, really quickly. I, it's hard to find a team that I. I wonder what, who would be interested in a trade for him. Maybe Miami, if they're looking to just get that star. Uh, perhaps also Orlando, if they think that they can. They really need more playmaking, especially if Markel Fultz doesn't pan out. And so they have some interesting salary matching tools. I just find it hard. And this isn't – I'm not trying to 
uh, criticize DeMar DeRozan, who's a very good basketball player. He's made all NBA teams. I just don't know what the market would be for him if they did put him on the chopping block. Yeah, and that's why I feel like two of those teams kind of already went away, uh, which were the Pelicans and Lakers, just because, again, like, you know, I, I was looking more still for teams that had the salary cap space just to take them into. Uh, some like the Pelicans would have worked there, but now, that, now, now I don't think that's the case. I know that they've actually gotten rid of the fourth pick. Uh, and then also, uh, you know, the, the Lakers are still there. You know, if they if they strike out, obviously it wouldn't be a great fit space-wise with Anthony Davis and LeBron. But if the Lakers strike out, maybe they do, you know, have that conversation uh, uh, with the Spurs to take him in. Uh, if they can get those other contracts traded uh, that, that they still have on their books. So so I, you're right. I just I haven't really looked too too much into it. But I also just don't see a team right now that, 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 that he fits well with. The final question we have comes from Spencer Keel at Spencer Keel, K-E-E-L-E. Are the Spurs finally going to miss the playoffs this year? Such a wild question to me. Uh, no, I still, I still don't. I, I think Matt Moore had put a, thing, a tweet out yesterday where uh, the, the Spurs is over early over uh, over under before the, tra- the the free agency season begins is like forty four and a half, and he even said like take the over, and I agree with him one hundred percent. Yeah, forty four and a half. I just feel like you know the stability is still there. Whether they, uh, as long as they keep DeRozan Aldridge, you're gonna go. You're gonna get much better defensively. I mean, they they were they were in the 20s last year. They're ranked defensively, and now all of a sudden you're gonna have two two really good defensive guards in um, in, in Dejounte and Derek White right next to each other side by side. So um, you know whether Lonnie doesn't pop or, or none of these rookies like Samanich or, or Johnson even become players, I still feel like they have that, that corporate knowledge. They're always going to have a have a really good record to just get the wins against the bad teams uh, most nights. And you know throughout the year they were competitive. They they, they had a win against all the other Western Conference playoff teams uh, throughout the season. They had pretty good records against most of them. And and you saw it against Denver. I mean they they went they went up to seven games. Uh, they were almost there. They were just basically a bad fourth quarter away from from being in, in round two, and they could have been playing Portland and seeing how far they go from there. But uh, I, I just feel like you know they still have that, that that system in place. They're they're a very disciplined team. We saw they were the lowest turnover team last year uh, in terms of taking care of the ball. They were really good about that. And obviously, you know, you want to see their shot selection go to a more modern NBA style. I don't know if that'll happen with Lamarcus and Demar together, but I, I just feel like like everything's there for them to still be one of those top eight teams out west. The only way I could see them hitting the under on that, and I mean, this is, like, to put out, they won 48 games, and like you said, took Denver to seven games, the two seed in the West, without what was supposed to be maybe their second or third best player in DeJounte Murray, and DeMar DeRozan was new, and Derek White missed how much of the year, and then he, he was still, like, that was a developing guy, and they still won 48 games. I don't see how they miss that over under like they don't clear it i would expect them to clear 45 victories again unless catastrophic injury is always a problem but the scenarios you were talking about unless they decide hey we're going to trade demar Derozan just into someone's cap space and we're not even going to sign anybody like we're just going to make this sort of a quasi developmental year that's really the only scenario in which i could see them not hitting the 45 win marker no, no, for sure. I agree with you 100%. I mean, we, we and I'm just looking at the standings real quick. And, you know, the only team we see that's falling out is, is Golden State, maybe. To, it, if, uh, you know, Clay and Clay and KD can't, or if KD even resigns, but if Clay can't get back in time, uh, we'll see how, how Steph and Draymond do together as, as the go-to guys for a team. Uh, and then, you know, you, you have some, some some questionables out there. you got like, somebody like the Clippers, who if they don't get Kawhi, you know, are they a playoff team? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and then um, 
you know, so so you do have the two teams that are going to be trying to get in there now with with, uh, with the Lakers and New Orleans trying to trying to sneak in there. Maybe Dallas if they have a good offseason too. So so right now, just based on the on the roster construct that the Spurs do have even before free agency, I, I still pinpoint them as a playoff team unless, like you said, like they trade Demar and then they try to give more responsibility to Lonnie or some of those younger guards. Uh, and then obviously that would be live or die by, by how they how they fare in, in their next year. And then because it's the Spurs, we still couldn't rule them out of winning forty five plus games. Yeah. <laughs> Paul, thank you so much for giving us an hour of your time uh, this morning. I really appreciate it. If you guys are not following Paul on Twitter, change that immediately. At Paul Garcia NBA, spelled exactly as it sounds. He covers the Spurs for Project Spurs and is also the host of the Spurs Cast podcast. If you want to follow them over there, it's at the Spurs Cast, also spelled exactly as it sounds. Thank you once again, Paul. I'm sure we will be pestering you at some point again in the future. Until next time, though, I leave everybody else with a shout-out to the one, the only, the legendary, and former Spur, Kyle Anderson. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.